Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I know that my life has been at risk a number of times throughout this. I've been at gunpoint, I've been threatened, and uh, three of the ships I traveled on board are confirmed to be at the bottom of the sea today. When you're not flying, you go with what you get, right? And some of these vessels have been sold from one party to another and to another and another, and they've been sold so many times they've been ripped every time so there's no safety equipment and the seafarers probably don't have proper training they probably just brought their their brother or someone else on board and uh, they overload them they overload them with cargo and with people and uh, uh, they go down eventually they go down it's russian roulette with with ferries or with ships so the question is not is this going to go down the question is when is it going to go down mm. hello and welcome to a life in dublin i'm your host mark and with your permission we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least in 2013, Thor Peterson set out on a journey to visit every country in the world without using air travel. It was a journey that he thought would take four years, but it ended up taking him ten. In this conversation, we talk about how and why he made that journey, and about some of the many, many adventures he had along the way. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really don't take your attention for granted. And considering all of the other places you could be spending your attention right now, the fact that you're here with us is something I'm incredibly grateful for. If you'd like to help out the show, you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review. Those small acts can make an incredibly big difference to me, and I'd really appreciate your support. But now, here's my conversation with Thor. First of all, an app for me, an absolute privilege to talk to someone with the name of Thor. For an Irish guy, this uh, <laughs> it, it feels like I'm almost speaking to a, to a demigod of sorts. <laughs> yeah, and I almost feel like a demigod of sorts at times, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, this is I, I've I came across your story last week and I've been thinking about it like oh, most days since and I just I, I can't believe it I I we'll we'll get into like the ins and outs of it and I'm sure that you've got so many stories to tell I mean I have been you know personally I've gone on three week holidays and I've come back and I've been like I just don't know where to start. Um, so I just cannot imagine what it's like for you. Um, yeah. It's 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 a, like quite literally a chapter of your life. Um, yeah. 
And this goes back to, as far as I'm aware, in 2013, you decided that you wanted to visit every country in the world um, without taking a plane. That's right. Uh, so maybe we'll start with, first of all, how that idea came to your head and then why you decided to go about and actually do that. All right. Um, that's uh... Uh, that sounds like a good place to start. Well, well done. <laughs> uh, how far back do I want to go then? I'll I'll go back far enough to tell you that I I, I did like hanging out in the forest when I was a kid and uh, climbing trees and uh, I liked uh, canoeing in a nearby lake and I ran away from home several times but I was usually back home for supper time <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, I was intrigued by adventurers. I was intrigued by the world's first, the, the great first, the North Pole, the South Pole, the tallest mm. mountain, the deepest sea, venturing inside uh, the deepest jungles and following the longest rivers. And I grew up in a small town, and just sort of, it, it, it dawned on me that it had all been done. I, I was born too late. I, I I grew up in a world where I could read about all these things, but they found all the islands, all the continents like that. It had all it been everywhere. Mm. And uh, then in 2013, I came home from a project uh, in, in the Arctic. Uh, I work within shipping and logistics, or I did that for, for 12 years. And uh, I was back home in Denmark and my father, he sends me an email and there's a link. I click on it and I read an article and it's about people who'd gone to every country in the world. And I didn't even know you could do that. I, I figured you'd have to be a millionaire or you'd need to spend your entire life that there are so many countries. Like, how would you? I've, I've been on holidays and I worked abroad and I figured like there are too many countries, but all sorts of people had done it. And at, in 2013, where we would have about 200 people had gone to every country in the world on all sorts of budgets. And I was intrigued. And through that, I discovered that no one had done it completely without flying. And that just struck me. It was like it sat there right in front of me, like no one has gone to every country in the world completely without flying. But I was 34 years old. I had a 12-year shipping and logistics career. I had a wonderful woman in my life. All of my peers had their first child. Some were waiting on their second. I mean, like, where, where do you go from there? You're certainly not going to go to every country in the world uh, without flying. That would, that would be nonsense. Uh, but I, I couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go. So I was toying with it. Like, I'm not going to every country in the world without flying. But if I was, how would I do it? And I got a map and a blue pen and a red pen. And I was mapping out and talking to my sister. And how many countries are there? What is a country? What would the number be? Mm. United Nations says this, Olympics says that. And uh, what would the budget be? Like, how would you work out a budget for every country in the world? I mm. mean, you have rich countries, you have less fortunate countries. I I traveled in, in, in countries where you get really far for $10 or, or 10 euros, right? And, and, and then you'd get nowhere. In, in Denmark for 10 euros, right? So, so what would the budget be for something like this? What would you even pack? Like there would be dust and there would be wet seasons and it would be hot and it would be cold. And like, how could you carry all of it with you? So slowly it just developed. And then eventually I was so invested that 
I jumped on top of it and I went like, okay, this is going to happen and I'm going to structure it and I'm going to find project partners and get it financed and we'll find a project name for it, which was its own thing. Like, what do you call, I'm going to every country, well, what should we call it? It has to yeah. be good. Like, what, what can we, what can we think of? I drew in friends uh, to help me. So we developed what, what I like to call the project group. And uh, that's uh, three friends and, and myself. And they all bring different strengths to like the, the website and design and creative ideas. And uh, some some of them, one of them is media savvy and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then eventually I had a fully formed project and then I needed to set a date. Because like that was a that was a big step as well. Go like, when am I leaving? Am I leaving tonight? Am I leaving tomorrow? Am I leaving in two months? Like when? Wow. Whatever. I, I, I might not be home for years. I, I figured it would take four years, based on uh, seven days per country as an average. Then also knowing I'd spend some time on ships and whatnot. But some countries I would run through pretty quickly. So I figured, okay, this can be done in four years realistically. And uh, and yeah, so found a date, had a project name, created a website, started some social media, and eventually I left There home. you go. Wow. Um, can I ask, from the point where you, you, you know, you said you, you had this idea or your, your your father sent you an email with, you know, these countries that have been visited and this kind of it, it ignited this idea of, of visiting them with, uh, without taking a plane. And then you said you kind of played with the idea, you know, in, in your head. You weren't taking it seriously. Mm. How, how long passed from that the idea to playing with the idea to okay let's go i left home on the 10th of october 2013 and uh, i got the email in january okay so 10 months and, yeah. and the conversations if you mind me asking first of all i mean there's there's family there's as you said your partner at the time um your friends did they kind of look at you as if you had 10 heads <laughs> or did they were they instantly supportive? I've never heard that expression before, but I have a sense that I know exactly what it means. Uh, I mean, th th there wasn't the engagement from friends that I found within myself. There was, yeah, like, most people have a child on one arm and they're stirring the pots with the other hand, and and they're looking at me going like, "Oh, there he goes again with one of his lofty ideas." <laughs> and, mm. Um, but I mean, my friends were used to me being in and out. Uh, I worked shipping logistics for 12 years, four of those years in Denmark and the remaining eight years on a variety of projects around the world. So I was the guy who worked two years in Libya during Gaddafi times. And I worked a year in Bangladesh and I worked in the Arctic and I worked in Greenland and I worked in Azerbaijan and in Kazakhstan. And, and then I came home and met up with my friends and and I learned the names of, of whichever children had sprouted out in between my last visit and this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it, it wasn't far-fetched. I mean, I think my friends could see me doing something like that. But but at the same time, it was like, that's like, why would you do that? Like, you you might never be able to find a job again. Uh, you know, maybe mm. no one would ever take you seriously uh, after something like that. And, and I mean... So there's an interesting, I've done a lot of speaking engagements uh, throughout the past 10 years across a lot of countries, and, and I've found correlation between age and certain questions. So when you hit, let's say, the high 20s, 30s and above, then people will ask, why? Why did you do it? Mm. And if you're below 
let's say lower than 25, certainly lower than 20, then no one asks. No one will ask you why. And and I think it's because when you're young, the world is just there and it's open and uh, go out and take it, grab it. And, uh, and and no worries. And as you get older, you go, well, we have responsibilities and uh, you need to pay your pension fund. And uh, you, yeah. there is a, the, the clock is ticking. If you want children, it has to be before the biological clock stops and, yeah. and all this stuff. So, but you don't have that when you're young. So a lot of, I guess a lot of, Grown-ups, I consider myself a grown-up. So a lot of grown-ups will look at something <laughs> like this and say, "Why? Like, why? What? What made you? What made you pull out?" And then, especially when you look at this, became a ten-year adventure. You go, "Like, are you insane? Like, that's mm. that's twenty uh, percent of your life as it sits right now." Yeah, like it's 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 like you said. We we do start to life becomes quite serious probably you're right from maybe the age of 28 upwards the responsibilities get a lot more real and and as you say um you rightfully say a lot of people would have turned around to you and said like listen that is career suicide um yeah. you you're not going to be able to come back from that it's it's logically a terrible idea um and i think that's why so many people are attracted to it does that make sense it like, does it does it's crazy the reason, enough <laughs> the reason you're doing those speaking events is because we all want to do something like this but we all feel that we can't or we shouldn't or or for whatever reason maybe not everybody wants to do something like this but maybe something a little bit less extreme whatever it might be you know going on a safari or whatever or going to the arctic the antarctic these types of things yeah. um I honestly, there's 10 years. So this journey started in 2013. You said project plan initially, I thought it was going to be four years. It ended yeah. up being 10. All yeah. right. Um, we could spend the next 24 hours, and that's not going to be enough time, talking about all of the adventures you had along the way. Um, Here's a little place I'd like to to kind of jump in. I was watching some of your content and I just was instantly attracted to uh, North Korea, right? Because mm. it's, it's a place that we know very little about. Um, and in the one of the videos, you said, guys, like people here, they're just, it seems normal, you know, to a certain extent. Obviously, it's not mm. normal like we know normal, but people are smiling you know, some people are, you know, have a cold, whatever. it's, it's, it's normal life. Yeah. And we are just normal human beings. Um, and all of this kind of uh, media, the narrative that the media has created about this specific place and, and why we should fear it, etc. Well, we shouldn't fear these people because these people are just normal everyday people, just like me and you, yeah. um, just trying to get about their lives. And I just thought that was like a, a wonderful message to give to people. Um, but we don't necessarily have to talk about North Korea, but you must have met some incredible people along the way. I, I have, I have. And, and and since you brought North Korea up, I, I mean, we might as well just talk a little bit about I there's I, I went through a tour agency called Choreo Tours, and there was this guy, Simon, who uh, who works there. And uh, they were giving us a briefing. It's the only country I've ever gone to where they give you a briefing before you go. But it, so North Korea is not strange in the context of the surrounding countries. It's culturally strange to us 
mm. to believe in deities and uh, that uh, that whoever's running the country is uh, is, is is perhaps uh, <laughs> I don't know like uh, above the superhuman or something mm. like this. You know, like we we don't buy into that where we come from, but but they might buy into that in parts of China or Japan or certainly in South Korea and in Cambodia and Vietnam and I mean that part of the world. Things function slightly differently. The you have the, the social system and the belief systems and all of that. So in that context, North Korea is not all that crazy, but it is crazy in the context of how we do things in the UK or Germany or in Denmark, right? Because mm. you know we're, there there are some kilometers between us. Now Simon, he said to me, I can't remember he said it to everyone in the group. He just said it to me, but at least Simon he said that people in North Korea are not crazy. So they know that it's not normal. They know that when they go for an election and there's just one name on the ballot and you have to put a a mark, you have to choose, they know that's not normal. They know that other countries have choices, but no one is dumb enough to go against, no one's dumb enough not to put their little uh, mark on that ballot they mm. will because the repercussions of that might be completely out of proportion and so people are not dumb they're they just have a framework that they can't work against and mm. then you mean where we get manipulated wherever we live uh i mean just look at the united states of america is it it's a uh, in many ways a very free country right and a highly developed country and it's certainly a western country it's the lighthouse of western civilization in some ways and mm. they have their republicans and they have their democrats and and they are just dug into trenches right and the republicans they feed on one source of information and the democrats they feed on another source and yeah. they're all americans and they're all in a free world and they all have access to facebook and instagram and this and that and so on <laughs> i mean what do we believe when what do you believe when you grow up in denmark what do you believe about other countries when you grow up in my country what do you believe when you grow up in in the uk what do you believe when you grow up in france we to a certain degree we are manipulated into the framework of our own countries and our societies and so, I mean, like, how can you blame someone in North Korea to believe what they hear in the radio and what they read in the news and what they see at the speeches and this kind of stuff? But they're not dumb. Uh, they're, they're just yeah. as intelligent as people anywhere else in the world. They might be less educated to, to certain degrees or certainly less edu- educated on, on certain topics, but they're human. And uh, mm. they they like music. They fall in love. They do get married. And you know, we talk about North Korea as a country that doesn't have beaches or mountains or birds. You know, like no, it's almost a surprise if you tell people that North Korea has beaches. You go like beaches? They can't have like, they can't have <laughs> beaches. Are they made of metal? <laughs> so we North Korea is, is such a core example for me when I talk about how we perceive countries around the world and how we perceive people around the world because North Korea is a famous country. Not every country is famous, but North Korea is. So you would hardly meet anyone who's never heard about North Korea. And yet North Korea is a country that barely anyone has been to. And most people don't even know someone who has been to North Korea, right? Yeah. And yet 
everybody knows something about North Korea. And when you ask them what they know, it's always crazy or negative, right? Yeah. And, and then that makes me wonder, how is it possible that there's a country where people have not been and they have something to say and the only thing they can say about that country is negative? I mean, that's that says something about humans. That says something about how we look at the world. And that's that's on the extreme. It's North Korea. I realize it's North Korea, so it doesn't get much more extreme. And, but but that is an extreme point of view that the only thing you know about a place you haven't been to is negative. Yeah. And and I think actually it's it's the power of narratives in general. You know, like we we need to create some type of narrative of map of the world. And you know, there's the there's the good ones, the bad ones, the <laughs> um and yeah, at, at the end of it, it's just a, more or less it's laziness, isn't it? It's it's lazy to to say that about a certain place in the world. Yeah. Is there you any in, you see it in sports as well? Like you, yeah. you just lean into one team and then everyone else is rubbish, right? <laughs> exactly. Everyone else is the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there anywhere that you feared for your life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you, you watch the evening news. There, there are certain countries are being reported a lot more on than others, and uh, and uh, a lot of negative stories. And then some of those stories are true. Uh, and, and, I mean, I went to South Sudan at a time when yeah. you should not be going to South Sudan. I went to Yemen. I went to Libya at times where, I mean. There is no safety net, and you can try going ten times in a row, mm. and then see how many times out of ten it's going to go well. It, it, it's not going to be ten times out of ten, that's for sure. Mm. So there are certain parts of the world where, again, the framework of a country, the stability, uh, the government loses control, or certainly loses control over certain regions, and someone else takes power and no one elected them <laughs> i mean they 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 might have ideas and uh, they, they don't have to stand uh, there's no accountability for their actions which means that you are at high risk if you upset the wrong people and you don't know who you're going to run into in certain parts of the world so yeah <laughs> i was scared going certain places but then looking back every country i went to I mean, it was much, much better than advertised. Much, much better mm. than advertised. Uh, I, I went to Venezuela at a time where I, I met some Israeli travelers and they were like, you cannot go to Venezuela. Like hundreds of thousands of people are disappearing every day and being kidnapped and tortured. And once they see you, you'll just be a, a prize to them and you, you oh will gosh. never survive. And then I had to go to every country in the world. So you're like, oh, what am I going to do? And I went and people were lovely and the country was beautiful and the food was good. And I was treated with so much kindness. And I, I blogged about it and some people were upset. They, some people were upset and said, like, how dare you make Venezuela look like Disneyland? And, and I, had to, I had to defend it by saying that was my experience. I'm yeah. not saying that something's going, I mean, something might be going on in the forest or in the mountains or in a cave or behind a wall or something, but I was not the one to experience that. 
what I did experience was that this woman came up to me and gave me a coconut and invited me inside her home and told me about her ancestry and this kind of this yeah. guy offered to drive me around. This guy did so. So in the park, they were playing frisbee and people were doing uh, what's this slaps. Slack, slack, slack line, slack line, yeah, slack line, slack line. They were doing that, and you know, you just see people being people, right? and, mm. uh, and, and no one harmed me, no one kidnapped me, no one tortured me. So, I'm I'm not a reporter, I'm not a journalist. I, I just describe my experience, and my experience was very, very good. And I I went to Afghanistan, I went to Syria, I went to Somalia. I mean, you, you go to some high profile places, and they're mm. high profile not for good things. And, and you have to have your guards up and you need to do more research and maybe you need to limit your time when you go there. But I had good experiences, mostly for the most part. I had good experiences almost everywhere. I'll I'll include a link to, because there's there's a documentary that's going to come out next year, right? If I'm not mistaken, in 2024. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's... I watched the the trailer for the documentary and it, it just it looks incredible. I had when I watched it, the, the hairs were standing up on, on the back of my neck. Um it looks right. <laughs> brilliant. It looks very exciting. So for anybody listening, um I'll include a link to that in the description of the episode. Um it, it shows you you you're traveling by by boat, like by trawler, but I don't mean but when I say boat, I don't mean like a cruise ship or a nice ship, but you you're literally on 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 these huge uh, ships, I, I I'd call it a trawler, um, you know. And when there's one scene where you're you're like you're swinging on um on a, uh, hammock. Call, on a hammock and like quite literally just being whacked um from uh, because the the movement of the boat is so um aggressive that you're just being thrown around the place in this hammock. And <laughs> yeah. I, I think the next scene is you you've come to a point where like i don't know if i can actually do this and yeah. how many how many times did it come into your head to just like nah, this i just have to pack this in i, I can't do this anymore plenty of times <laughs> so i left home imagining you know if, if, if three weeks of holiday is good then three months is better right and then three years <laughs> is brilliant but but it's like with anything, like if you enjoy chocolate and I say, oh, good, you like chocolate? Well, here's chocolate and you cannot eat anything else for the next three years. How long will it be until you're sick and tired of chocolate? Mm. And in terms of travel, for me, it was about two years. And, yeah. and, and it was forced travel in a sense. You know, there was a list. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I can go wherever I want. Essentially, I could, but it would just take me that much longer to get back home, right? Yeah. So I had a list of, in my case, 203 countries, which I said, this is every country in the world, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it without flying. I'm not coming home until I reach the final country or I quit. And I don't want to be a quitter. It has to be more than 24 hours in each country. No flying whatsoever. Here we go. And then that's great until you realize uh, you've generated a prison for yourself. <laughs> so you wake up in the morning, you don't want to do it anymore, and you've reached... 98 countries right you, you still have 105 to go 
and then 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 you find your way to the next country but it's not just getting on a bus and going to the next country it's you do the paperwork right and you do the research and you i, I was a good ambassador of the danish red cross i met with the red cross in each country i need to work out where they are and get in touch with them sit and have a meeting with them i do speaking engagements i do interviews along the way if anyone wanted to listen to me i do an interview and uh, you know you need to get a sim card how do you do that how do you do it? Mm. It's a new country. A SIM card, is that something you can buy on every street corner? Do you need to go to some government office somewhere? Or like, how do you get a SIM card in this country? How do you get a bus, a bus ticket? Do you go to the counter? Do you do it online? Do you do it? Do you buy the ticket on the bus? Like you need to work out all of this stuff constantly. That's travel and that's great. And people, they love doing that. But for how long do you mm. love doing that? You know, it's not all beautiful sets and rising temple and sitting at a serene waterfall i mean like and even that stuff once you've been to 50 waterfalls it's just water falling right <laughs> that's, that's all it is yeah so the two-year marker for me and i was in severe hardship around the two-year marker i was in central africa checkpoint after checkpoint super corrupted everyone wanted a bite out of me i didn't want to pay anyone there was malaria there was this there was that uh, travel is rough there are potholes and no windows in some of these but the cheap bus is certainly no windows like you you have the option you can go with the nice bus with air condition and closed windows and wi-fi and it doesn't stop a lot and it will get you there on time or there's the chicken bus which is cheap and it stops everywhere and wow. it's, uh, it's not comfortable so i was there it was rough i lost my financial sponsorship at the time and they came back later on in the project and then um, i was recovering from malaria I had a long distance relationship, which was really shaky at that uh, point. Like we were, it almost, it almost broke apart. Um, and there was just no, the, the life force within me was just being sucked out. I couldn't do it anymore. I felt like mm, there was no one on the planet who cared. My social media wasn't, uh, the, we're talking in the hundreds or in the low thousands. And, mm. and I'm years in and I was expecting, you know, it'll be hundreds of thousands. It'll be millions. I'll have the, the world will love what I'm doing, but nobody seemed to really care what I was doing. And the Red Cross certainly didn't care if I reached every country in the world without flying or not. That doesn't relate to humanitarian work. Yeah. They, 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 they care about raising awareness or raising funds or donating blood and this kind of stuff. So... I was looking around. I just couldn't find any reason to continue. I was in physical pain and mental pain. Uh, no one was really cheering on me. And my my social media, which I, I never got good at social media. I've been doing it for 10 years. I never like sort of unlocked the key. So, so I mean, I saw the numbers declining even. <laughs> okay, so it's a clear sign. Nobody wants me to do this. I don't even want to do this. I should go home. And somehow I still found the strength to continue and the hope that it would be better tomorrow, which it definitely wasn't. And it got worse <laughs> and worse and worse and worse. And for months and months and months, it got worse. And then eventually it started to get better. And then it got easier and it got harder again. So there have certain, there's been this roller coaster throughout where, okay, now it's moving. Now I think I can be home. Okay, it's not going to be a four-year project, but it might be a five-year project. And uh, I'm getting closer to the end. And, oh, I just met this person. And now I have this contact. And now it's going to happen. And then something else gets in your way. You just run your head against a wall somewhere. And desperately, you look for a door to get to the other side of that wall. And the moment you stop looking for doors, everything stops, right? So mm. within my prison, 
my the prison that I gave myself. I, I sit there in the cell and I have the key in my hand. Mm. At any point, I can press abort, unlock, go out, go to the airport, go home. Right? That's my choice. So it was a mental prison of saying, I want this, or I don't want to go back home and say I couldn't do it. I wasn't strong enough. Um, or go back, back home and then be content and happy about giving up because it was the right thing to do. But then months or years later, look at it and go like, was it really that hard? And why didn't you stay in it? And would you would you rather be shopping in the local grocery and, and doing the lawn and this kind of stuff? Or would you like to be out there in, in adventure and meeting people and tasting food? And, and so you'd get to a point, I, I, at least I believe, I would get to a point where I would be tormenting myself back home for not completing it. So I had this internal battle. And then... I mean, I really didn't get the support that I thought I would get. It was a little bit Rolling Stones, like you can't always get what you want. But if you try real hard, you get what you need. And I did mm. try real hard. And I did get what I needed because I did make it through. And I did get to the last country. But I certainly didn't always get what I wanted. And uh, and then we had a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point, you must have been like, "For fuck's sake!" Like, what? Absolutely. I mean, I'm laughing at this point. Going like, "There's nothing else you can throw at me." Like, what? Yeah. Do we need an atomic war, or we need, what's going to happen beyond a pandemic? And where, sorry, uh, where, where, where were you when, when at that kind of March 2020 time? Uh, yeah, so that was the pandemic, but the virus outbreak happened before that, and I was where the virus outbreak started. So <laughs> uh, I I was in the Pacific. I was down to the last nine countries. Oh, so I wasn't. God. I wasn't. I wasn't a hundred countries out. That would have made it so much easier to quit. I was nine countries away from from finishing it, and I had established the connections I needed to the shipping companies that could bring me to those nine countries. Right. So I had a path in front of me. I had a timeline and nine countries to go. And one of the companies I was collaborating with, uh, Pacific International Line, shout out to them. They uh, said, we cannot bring you to Palau directly from where you are. We do not have that uh, that ship. What we can do is we can bring you up to Hong Kong and then you do transit for four days. And then after four days, another ship will bring you to Palau. Palau is an island nation in the North Pacific. So that's fine. That's the solution. So I get on the ship and 12 days later, I reach Hong Kong and I'm up on the bridge and we see Hong Kong and the captain's wearing a mask. They're like, why are you wearing a mask? And he said, I have a mask for you too. And he said, there's been a virus outbreak in Wuhan. And I say, what's Wuhan? And he says, that's a city in, in Hong Kong. Uh, that's a city in China. And I have a look at a map and I go like, that's a thousand kilometers from from Hong Kong, that that's never going to have anything to do with me. Like people don't understand distance and how localized problems generally are, and armed conflicts and and volcanoes that are erupting. And this is far away from me. I'll be fine. Because mm. I put on the map. Generally, don't trust. Like you said, around here we don't always trust what we hear in the news and in the media. It's, sometimes it's controlled. Just be cautious. Be cautious. And I went into okay. Hong Kong, and then. It wasn't long before the world closed its borders to greater China, which includes Hong Kong. So we were all in Hong Kong going like, why did you have to drag us into this? Like, we're fine. There's no virus outbreak in Hong Kong. But it was 
Hong Kong, Macau, and mainland China, and the world just shut its borders to that. And uh, and then the shipping companies slowly started to to uh, have issues. And they couldn't bring, they couldn't, they couldn't do crew change. So they, the seafarers got stuck mm. on the ships and more and more countries closed their borders and they gave the virus a name and they declared it a pandemic. And then it was just kind of game over for a while. So I sat down and in, in that moment, I, I just, you know, I, I felt pretty good about it, to be honest, because I was tired and like, okay, if it's a pandemic and it's the entire world, then at least people will understand my situation. Because most of the time people don't understand. Say, Why don't you just get the visa? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just go on the ship? Why don't you just learn how to sail? Why don't you get your own sailboat? Why don't you just, why don't you just? But but with the global pandemic, there was a clear sense of, ah, no, we get it. Like he's, he's not going anywhere for a bit. We get it. So I felt good about that being understood for once and just being in mm. the same boat with the entire world not so much the just you know the fear and we didn't know what was going on and people losing jobs and and that kind of stuff but just uh we're we're all in this together that that felt quite good for a little bit <laughs> yeah so in in hong kong we were buying toilet paper like crazy Three months before you guys. <laughs> so yeah. so when we were well stocked up on toilet paper and we were laughing about ourselves, we were watching you guys go like, you didn't learn anything from us. Yeah. You learned nothing from us. It's the exact same thing happening on the other side of the world. Yeah. Man, that that is, is 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 absolutely crazy. So but oh so like, let me let me just add, I was yeah. in Hong Kong for two years. Wow. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay. <laughs> so it it almost gave you like a little break, almost. It, it, it did. So it, initially we, you know, everyone was, was an expert and nobody knew anything. And, and that's, that's kind of still the case today. You know? <laughs> like everyone just knew a little bit about the rhino viruses and this and that. And people were reading and had all sorts of theories. But in Hong Kong, they were truly afraid because Hong Kong had gone through SARS pretty much 20 years before. And, and SARS took out several lives in Hong Kong and it was pretty mysterious and it was spreading in such a mysterious way from people were isolating in their apartments and then somehow it would get to other apartments. And, and that was truly scary for Hong Kong. And it changed Hong Kong for life. Like they... Like in Hong Kong, they primarily with chopsticks. 
And before SARS, they used to have, everyone had their own set of chopsticks and then you just reach out into a bowl and everyone would reach into this bowl and you'd eat out of that. And after SARS, you would have two sets of chopsticks. So you'd have one for the bowl that doesn't go in your mouth and you you lift things out of the, the, the pot or, or the bowl and then bring it to your plate. And the other one goes to your mouth. And they also added uh, a film, a plastic sheet, uh, because in Hong Kong has elevators everywhere. Yeah. So, so they added a plastic sheet on top of uh, the elevator buttons so that someone can wipe mm. that down several times a day. And they've had that for the past 20 years because of SARS. You know, so, that, so some of these things were built into society. And now they were fearful that this was a new SARS coming around. So they masks on. The government didn't need to say masks on. I mean, people just really? wore masks immediately and they stayed inside and they they distanced each other and they didn't go to work. And that that came really, really fast in, in Hong Kong. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, with SARS, they said, well, that lasted about, I think, two months, maybe in in uh, back in those days and then summer came and it got warmer and it just disappeared so people they saw well correlation between the warmer temperatures and uh and the virus disappearing so we figured okay maybe it's the same thing with this new virus from from wuhan mm. but then suddenly they had it in uh, warm countries <laughs> and they go like ah that's no good and, yeah. and in my head it, uh, there was a period where i thought okay this will be a couple of months and then I'll be on my way again. And I could really do with a couple of months to eat well, sleep well, uh, get myself ready. And then the last push, the last nine countries. So it was it was sort of welcome, although I didn't want any form of delay. Yeah, because I can imagine, like, apart from the fact that um, you spoke about having malaria in Central Africa, <laughs> yeah. um, and just the constant change of, like, I know when I go on holidays to wherever or if i'm traveling i get a bit of an upset stomach just because mm. of the change in diet maybe the change in temperature things like that um like how how did you manage your health throughout yeah. the COVID? like not not including covid and and that but that must yeah. have been tough enough to like not lose too much weight or or whatever <laughs> Well, I might just want to add that I'm one of those people who never got COVID. I've never tested positive wow. for COVID. And I'm certainly one of the people who's been tested the most. The, the testing in Hong Kong was pretty severe. But then the pandemic kept raging as I went to Pacific Island nations. And I couldn't enter any countries without testing a million times. And I couldn't get on a ship without testing a million times. And the, like my nose is twice the size today because of all the testing. I've tested so much. That you, you you wouldn't believe it, and every test came back negative, and it was just it was a joke at some point. I would start posting on social media and says, "Mr. Negative strikes again," and you know it ties into your question because maybe I built up some resistance from all the crap I've been exposed to all around the planet, um, or maybe I'm still just due. Maybe I'll I'll get it next week. Who knows? Yeah. So in in terms of getting sick around the world. It's, it's usually small stuff. It's usually small stuff where you feel you can still carry on, but now you you feel like something's coming on or uh, you're running a bit of a fever, but you can keep going and this kind of stuff. And, and then because my life was not stable, because I did not have, because I was not eating at the same desk every day, at the same time every day in the same meals. And, you know, it's it's hard to pinpoint how did I get sick? 
You know, was it something I ate? Is it where I am? Did I touch something? Is it because now I'm drinking this and I used to be drinking that? Is it because, you know, it's so hard to pinpoint what might the source be? Hmm. Now I'm back in Denmark now and one day looks more or less like the next day, you know, and uh, and if I get sick, then I can usually say, well, it's probably because yesterday I did that, right? Hmm. But but back going across every country in the world and, and changing environment and meeting new people and the food and uh, everything constantly changing, so hard to pinpoint what was the source. That's just a side story, but but yeah. So on and off, I will catch something, and then I'll drink more water and eat some bananas, and I'd find my way through. Sometimes I take a painkiller and I keep going. I, I mean, stomach flu, yeah, a few times. Mm. Obviously, I mean, how can you avoid it? I have, did you eat that? Of course, you get sick from that. And it, um, yeah, uh, the severe stuff would be malaria. I was in West Africa. I got sick in 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 Ghana. Um, wow. I there was a mystery virus while I was in Panama. I stayed in bed for several days. It felt like someone had opened up my head and taken my brain out, put it in a microwave, and then chucked it oh back my in gosh. my head. I was just I couldn't do much, and I was staying at a hostel. So the, the those working at the hostel thought I'd just been out drinking and I had a hangover, but I was in bed for several days. Eventually, they got worried and and very helpful, very very helpful, and brought me water and food and stuff like this. And eventually, I was able to crawl over to a clinic, and they gave me some pills and then some more days in bed, and I got over that. We never really worked out what it was. It was just something that came and, and went within four or five days. Um, I got the uh, Delhi belly in uh, Delhi. <laughs> <laughs> it rings so, true. I mean, if if it does, if if you if you can travel in India and not at some point <laughs> have stomach issues, then you have an amazing stomach. I, that, that's all I have to say about that. The food is good, but I mean, there's it's it's spicy and there's a different. I mean, I, I I wouldn't put it past that if someone from India came to Denmark, I drink tap water in Denmark. There's no reason why I wouldn't drink tap water in Denmark. But if they came from India and wanted to drink tap water here, it might be of different bacteria flora or something like this. So it might mm. take them a couple of days to get used to the, the the culture, the bacteria culture that we have here compared to halfway across the planet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for I was, sure. I was, but I, I'd have to say... Um, just just wrapping it up i came home i have as many teeth in my mouth as when i left i still have sight on both eyes i still have 10 fingers and no stab wounds no bullet wounds i mean i'm i came home in one piece and uh, yeah and i had i haven't been sick a lot certainly not above where you can still get out of bed and and get through your day I guess like a, a, a journey of 10 years, having malaria once, a bad virus in Panama another time, you know, out of 10 years, that's, you take that almost. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if, if you were offered that before, you were told it was 10 years and like you might get sick in this quantity of times, I think you'd probably, yeah. you'd probably be okay with that. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a clip from, from your dad in, in the trailer for the, in the documentary where he says, um, mm. and let's remember that obviously this is, uh, this is the man that kind of in some way inspired the journey, but he said, um, Thor, don't, 
I don't want you to fly home. If I if I'm to get sick or if I'm to pass away during the middle of this journey, your journey, please don't fly fly home just to see a dead body. Um, I yeah. thought that was was a pretty powerful thing to say. But how how were you able to maintain relationships during this whole time? Well, I was traveling from 2013 to 2023, not from 1813 to 1823. Mm. So that that helps a lot. Uh, technology has changed a lot. That there AI and this kind of stuff is just within the last six months or a year, uh, mm. to the degree we have it today. I left home in 2013. The newest iPhone was an iPhone 5. Right. Mm. So we certainly had smartphones and there was Wi-Fi and uh, you get, uh, I guess, 3G back then or something like that. And and then there's just been it's just been getting better Mm. year by year. There was Zoom Mm. didn't exist back then. TikTok wasn't a thing. Facebook and Instagram is wasn't what it is today. You know, a lot of things have changed, but Skype existed when I left home. And uh, you get a decent connection, and uh, you get on Skype, and and you can you can talk to people back home, and 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 that that goes a long way. It really goes a long way when you can see someone, uh, to see the person you're having a conversation with, right? Mm. You you can see if they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing while you're talking to them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you can see what they're wearing, you can see expressions, uh, facial expressions, and uh, you, you see. Mm. I mean, it it gives a much fuller picture and in in a conversation. So mm. so that's been a lifesaver. Uh, but also just text messages and emails has has gone a long way. People came out to visit me. Um, my wife has been out to visit 27 times, so she's the record holder wow. by far. My yeah. parents have individually been out to visit several times. My siblings, uh, uh, several friends have been out to visit. So yeah, that's that's how you do that. Um, yeah, that must have know. been amazing. That must have been amazing to have their support, just to see them, you know, in real life, uh, yeah. and to have their support along the way. I mean. I imagine it would have been a very, very difficult thing to do without that support. I mean, really, yeah. um, it, it must be really important. I this is this might sound like a strange reference, right? But I'm I'm thinking. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, they have their own little adventure in that. And there's a scene in the last film towards the end where they return back to the Shire. You know, return mm. back home after kind of wanting to go back home for such a long time. Yeah. Um, and it's different. Yeah, it's, of course. They can't put your finger on it, but you know what? What ends up happening is that group that had that adventure together. They almost feel like they can't. They can't relate to the people who are living out what we will call like the the stereotypical lives, the normal yeah. lives. How has it been for you so far? Like coming back and first of all, not having somewhere to go or not uh, needing to go somewhere to continue the journey. And and now you're just in one place. It must be a very strange feeling. It is. It's, it's surreal. And uh, so there, there are several elements here. So if you, if you imagine that in order to incorporate a habit in your life, you need to 
repeated 30 days in a row. I've heard that a few times. It might be true or not, but but certainly if, if you decide you want to get up early in the morning, you start setting the alarm for maybe 6 a.m. and you do that 30 days in a row, you get up at 6 a.m., then that's incorporated into your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever I've done for the past, I've done for more than 3,500 days, right? So it's certainly wired deep into who I am. Now, people that will go on holiday for two or three weeks and they'll come home and they'll stare out the window and they'll be daydreaming for a bit. And then eventually they go back to normal life. Soldiers come back from a mission which has lasted more than half a year. And they come back and they stare out the window for a long time. Some some people stare out the window for the rest of their life, right? Yeah. Expats come back home after four years abroad, two years abroad, who knows what. They some go out again. Some can't just can't come back. You know that the, the body comes back easily. Uh, the mind takes a lot longer. And I know that that's a process. And I know that's a process that I should be working on. And the only way that I really move through that process would be with some quiet time. Yeah. And I am in the spotlight right now. I there's all the attention of the world. I'm doing six, seven interviews a day. And I've been doing that since mid last week. It's off the hook. And the interviews are getting bigger. So it's not watering down. And now I'm doing the small ones. So like the Guardian reached out today and said they want to do a feature. Right? Yeah, right? So so it's not what I need right now. (laughs) I I want it, (laughs) but not right now. Could you please all wait a couple of months and then I'll do it? But it doesn't work like that. Also... I came home and I had nothing but the uniform I've been traveling in for the past 10 years. You know, that's I put that on every day and I look forward to take it off when I got back home. But what was I going to put on? So I went out and bought a set of clothes. So I had to do that. And then I had a set of clothes. And then we went in the basement and we found an old bag and we found, oh, I was wearing this 10 years ago. Let's look. And then we tossed half of that. We're like, you can't wear that anymore. And then uh, the other half, we washed it. And, and that I'm wearing some of that right now. Um, I'm not in my home. This is my wife's apartment. She's been mm. living here for 14 years or so, right? And so that's behind me. You have a, a bookshelf and some books. That's her bookshelf and her books. I'm sitting at her table. I'm sitting on her chair. Like there's hardly anything in here, which is mine. And she says, feel at home. And she emptied out some space where I can put my clothes and where I can put my toothbrush and this kind of stuff. But it doesn't work like that. And, and we know that we're this is temporarily because I have a bigger apartment and uh, it's rented out and we'll get it in October. So we mm-hmm. know that me staying here is just two months then both of us will uproot and go to my apartment and start our life there and get the furniture together that we want and work out what do we want on the wall. And then that will be home. That will be our home. So that's just to say, how can I feel at home when, I mean, I'm I'm here, I'm not back doing logistics. I'm doing interviews from morning to evening. I'm not in my home. Uh, I'm in my wife's home, which I mean, gradually could become my home, but it's not supposed to because we're moving soon enough. And Mm. my future is vastly different from my past. I'm not going to 
be taking a salary and coordinating logistics on someone's behalf. I want to do speaking engagements and I'm talking to publishers, including a British publisher that reached out, which is super, super cool. Mm. Uh, and I'm talking to co-authors and we have this documentary we've been working on for four years, which is coming out next year. And I'm, I'm, I'm in media across the world. I mean, the people are sending me, I was in the media in China. I was in the media in Iran. I was in the media in Canada. I was in the media. I mean, across the globe, it's South Africa. And uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. Who am I today? Mm. Like who, who was I when I left? Who am I today? And I, I, I need to find peace with who I am today and how the world perceives me. And, but also all the knowledge I've gained over the past 10 years. I mean, you can measure your life in in many ways, I'm sure, but, but you can certainly measure your life in two different ways, either by the calendar. And that's what we generally do. You look at the calendar, you go, which year were you born? This is 2023. Okay, you're so and so many years old. And that's a straightforward way to do it. But what if you spent 20 of those years in a coma, in, in a hospital? Then mm. you would essentially be 20 years younger, but people would still say, no, no, you're the you're, you're your full age. Your body is your full age. Okay, fine. But then what do you lose in those 20 years? You, lo- you lost life experience. You would have had 20 extra years of life experience. Mm. So how about if you measure your life in life experience? But you can't do that. Like, how do you measure life experience? But But just think about it for a second. You say that someone who's 90 years old has vastly more life experience than someone who's in their 30s or 40s right and and that adds something to who they are and how they think and and what they do now how do you gain life experience well you gain life experience by experiencing things talking to people reading books uh testing learning all this stuff what have i been doing for the past 10 years i've been in the fast lane of experiencing and gaining life experience so did I age 10 years in the past 10 years or did I age much, much more than that? And I feel a lot older than what I am at this point. A lot, a lot, a lot older. Wow. I, I, so so is... how do I bring how do I bring all of that home? How mm. do I try to build a life as a publisher or not a publisher, as an author, as a public speaker? as a world traveler as an adventurer and how do i find peace how do i come back home how do i land how do i feel comfortable within my own skin and that Mm. is so definitely a process do you think maybe for the first time in a decade um you kind of have to let life happen uh for you a little bit because i mean you have been directing your life by saying i'm going here i'm going there you know it's been uh, it's been a project where you have directed things almost i mean i know there's things that have happened where you've had to okay i can't go there now because this happened etc but ultimately it's been your it's it's very clear your journey has been very clear in front of you you know all the time something happens okay well i'll readjust and now this is my journey i know where exactly where i'm going i know exactly where my end point is it's back home um i want to complete this and now maybe for the first time you've had this experience of okay where okay i kind of know where i want to go but 
how is that going to happen? And it might just be an adjustment phase of having to learn how to accept life and let life happen for you. Because I think the cool thing is going back to what you said earlier on about like how in the early days and you were in, it was tough. You, your Instagram followers were, it wasn't growing. It was actually decreasing where now it's, you know, completely the opposite. I mean, I think I seen, I don't know, since I started following you last week, you've grown thousands of followers, yeah. um, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And, and I can only imagine with with more Guardian articles, et cetera, that that's going to uh, continue to grow. So my advice, and I'm no one to give you advice, but would be, I, I guess, just try and, and sit back and enjoy the ride because I think things are going to happen for you quite a lot now. Um, I, I, I would hope. Um, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time because I know that you've got a thousand more of these to do. Um, You're on my last one today. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can you, uh, this is obviously an, a life in Dublin, an Irish podcast. So um, I have to ask the question. Uh, can you remember your time in, in Ireland and, and where was it? Was it in Dublin or was it somewhere else? Yeah, I'm embarrassed because I barely spent any time in Ireland and I, I have a passion for Ireland. Uh, okay. So I'll be back. But mm. Ireland was country number, let's see, so nine within oh. this journey, right? Congratulations for remembering that. Yeah, well, I can work it out. <laughs> I have I have a, a few countries where I know number 50 and I know number 100 and then I can add and subtract a little bit because I know the order. And, yeah. uh, and I know that uh, England was number seven because okay. 007, James Bond, right? Oh, and, there you go. And then I know I went to Wales and that was eight. And then I went to Ireland, nine. And then I went mm. to Northern Ireland and 10. And I went to Scotland, 11. There you go. Amazing. Uh, but back in those days, it was a country project. And it wasn't so much about promoting humanitarian work in Red Cross. It wasn't so much about promoting the countries and learning a lot about the countries. It was more about reaching them, doing 24 hours and moving on to the next one. That was that was the primary, primary objective. I was still doing this thing, though, where I was taking a picture of someone's eyes for every country in the world. And it mm. had to be someone Irish when I was in Ireland. So yes, I came to Dublin, and uh, it was a weekend. Yeah, and uh, I, I was quite embarrassed. It was very new to me, and uh, it was awkward for me to stop a stranger and ask if I could take a picture of their eyes. I just I had a hard time getting <laughs> over that. I can do that today. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah I'm sure. Back then, I had a hard time doing it, and uh, and I, uh, I I mustered up. The, the courage to ask some people and, and everyone I met was not from Ireland. So this guy was from Hungary and then there was a Polish guy and then there was, a, I guess it was ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I, I asked five or six people and none of them were from Ireland. And, wow. and I, was, I was staying at a guest house and I came back and I asked the guy working there and he was from, from Ireland as well. And I was just like, what am I going to do? Uh, so then the next day I was on a train heading up to Northern Ireland. I was on the train. I was going like, where, where is the border between these two countries? Like, where does it cross? When am I in Ireland and when am I, when am I in Northern Ireland? I have to get this photo of the eyes from Ireland. Yeah. And I saw this redhead girl with green eyes. 
and she was she was she was a nice looking girl and, uh, <laughs> and I was like I can't ask her <laughs> I can't ask her but she looks so Irish <laughs> yeah and and I came over I was really shy and she knew so I mean she could see it on me she could see that I so I, she was way above me and I was like you know, I have this thing I want to take a photo can I take a photo of your eyes and she was like yeah sure no problem and she was really nice about it and oh, I was so amazing. shy so I got an eye slightly shaken because, because I today I would check the photo and I'd go like no let's take one more or let's get it right but back then I was just like oh thank you so much I'm sorry I disturbed you and then get away so I have that story from Ireland at least uh, brilliant brilliant yeah you, you'll have to come back um whenever you do um please let us know I'm, I'm sure we, we we'd absolutely yeah. love, love to meet you in person and to to buy a pint um, that, that's why I would come back. I would come back for the beer and for the exactly uh, for the pub exactly. life. Exactly. No, and, and and for hiking, I'm I've become an avid mm. hiker. I hiked before this project, but it's really grown on me. And and I'm looking to my close closer environment now. So I'm looking yeah. at Germany and I'm looking at the UK. I've mm. done Norway and Sweden plenty, but mm. and, and and Ireland, amazing hiking. You know, amazing landscapes. Absolutely, west coast of Ireland, uh, even Wicklow, which is just uh, south of of Dublin, you'll get some unbelievable hikes as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, would thoroughly recommend. I'm um, just going to finish with two quick questions. Sure. Um, put yourself back to 2013. Um, hypothetical question: Would you do it again? No, 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 no. <laughs> not not with the knowledge I have today. And, and, and the knowledge I have today would first and foremost be this is going to take a decade of your life. It's not going to take four years. Mm. I mean, four years already felt like a lot when I left home. It's got like, well, I am not sure I can do it much faster based on seven days per country, but but I'll try. Maybe I can do it three and a half years, but four years is realistic. And mm. it felt like a lot. Mm. If you said 10 years, it would be a definite no. Because like, no, I, I want a family. I want... I mean, I want to continue my career and all this stuff. Yeah. So that's one thing. Another thing is, I know that my life has been at risk a number of times throughout this. I mean, I've been at gunpoint and uh, I've been threatened. And uh, three of the ships I traveled on board are confirmed to be at the bottom of the sea today because some oh of the vessels gosh. are in so poor condition. And uh, when you're not flying, you go with what you get right and some of these vessels have been sold from one party to another and to another another and they've been sold so many times they've been ripped every time so there's no safety equipment and the seafarers probably don't have proper training they probably just brought their their brother or someone else on board and uh, they overload them they overload them with cargo and with people and uh, they go down eventually they go down it's russian roulette with with ferries or with ships so the question is not, is this going to go down? The question is, when is it going to go down? Mm, and they call them soul sellers because your soul is for sale when you go on board. Oh, my God. Come on. Come on. <laughs> so I've been on a, a great deal of soul sellers and uh, three vessels are confirmed. So this is people that, that asked me, how did you go from here to here? And I explained. And a month later, they came back and said, we went. And the ship doesn't, it's at the bottom of the sea. It's not there anymore. You go like, oh, is it now? And they go like, yeah, it went down with 200 people and they didn't survive. Go like, oh, okay. Uh, that's that's scary. So knowing, knowing that, why would I do it again? 
And the the documentary, I think it's still a working title for the documentary, but it's right now we're calling it, or they are calling it, like I'm hardly a part of it. I'm the protagonist, <laughs> but they're editing it. They're they're telling the story. Um, so it's the the working title is the impossible journey. And yeah. when you look back, this should not have happened. There have been so many obstacles, and the amount of times that I could have died in the process. And the the mental strength that you need to pull through is someone who wrote me the other day. I actually like that. So someone who wrote me and said, you won first, second, and third prize in stubbornness. <laughs> like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> but I mean, with the armed conflicts and with the natural disasters and with uh, everything in this and that, the question is, could you do it two times? Could you, like, if you tried 10 times, could, could, what are the chances you could do it one time? Mm. You know, it, it is the impossible journey. And somehow we pulled it off. And uh, a, a big part of why this was possible was because of the people I met along the way and the people who reached out and the people who supported and those who helped. That's that's really, and, and then I, I showed some personal strength throughout and, and there were some good ideas and some good solutions for some some problems along the way. but. But it's really been a people project. It's there's been so much help and support. So incredible. So to wrap this off, as I I know I get off track with a lot of things I talk about. <laughs> but but to wrap this up, I, I would say uh, it's a paradox. I would not send myself through this. I would not do that. But I do not want to be without the knowledge that I sit with today. Yeah, um, that's an incredible answer. Well done. Um, you, you say that the, these life experiences that you've gained, it makes you feel older. And I can almost imagine, you know, back in, in olden times where people w- would sit in, in circles around a fire and listen to, to the elders speak about, about life and, and like they, this is how education happened in the past. Yeah. Um, if, and, and this is an incredibly difficult question, but maybe you have some idea in your mind from all of the experiences that you've gained, um what would you like people to know or what would you like to say to people if if you could leave them with some type of message after all of the experiences that you've had what would you say i would say a few things and i'll do it quickly (laughs) I'd, I'd, i'd say wherever you go remember you're a guest if you go to a neighboring town or a neighboring city if you cross international borders you're a guest and be on your best behavior. I mean, you are representing where you come from. Someone might never have met anyone from Ireland or from Denmark or wherever we come from. So you are an ambassador of your home country. And if you are an absolute, (laughs) if you are unpleasant in every way, then uh, people are going to look at your your country and say people from that country are horrible. They uh, yeah. so so remember that. Another thing I would say is that whenever you're watching something horrible in the news, there's a cameraman and he's probably safe. <laughs> so hmm. so the the camera is pointing at what you're meant to see. That's what's newsworthy. 
And behind the cameraman, in many cases, taxis are operating, markets are open, children in school uniforms and, and this kind of stuff. Unless it's a really hardcore cameraman who's in a war zone, obviously. But yeah. but in most cases, the cameraman's safe. Life is pretty ordinary behind the camera. So you keep that in mind when, when you see this stuff. And then in terms of people, I mean, I've been to every country I've 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 met with so many cultures and so so many so many people so so many people I've interacted with I've sat in buses with people I've sat in trains with people I've been at markets and so so many people and in my experience people are very much like a reversed lottery it's so hard to lose when you go out and meet with people you can lose that's you, you can win in a lottery as well right but it's probably not going to happen and and it's probably not going to happen you're probably not going to meet that person who wants to push a knife in between your ribs i, I mm. just don't see it happening it's it's mothers and it's fathers and it's uh daughters and sons it's teachers and it's clerics and it's you know it's just people doing their jobs people going to school people sitting down for barbecue people taking selfies people scrolling endlessly through social media people following sports people watching when when game of thrones was a thing everyone was talking about game of thrones people were they knew who daenerys was and the targaryens and this kind of stuff right and they yeah. couldn't believe who was killed off in last episode you know that was what was going on <laughs> everywhere i went when it was fidget spinners everyone had a fidget spinner kids were playing with fidget spinners i was in libya while the the fidget spinner thing was going on <laughs> and this this kid he had a fidget spinner which was uh, colored in the same colors as the shield of captain america so imagine uh, that a kid with captain america shield fidget spinner in Libya <laughs> that's crazy yeah yeah and and that's really who we are I mean if you when you go through Africa you'll hear a lot of music where from artists you've never heard about before but from the sound of the music I I certainly cannot tell why it shouldn't be playing in clubs in Denmark and elsewhere I mean the quality of it is amazing it just seems like like African music doesn't spread as much as Western mm. music does and and you will hear Western music in Asia and across Africa, across uh, South America, you'll you'll hear Western music, and we are listening to the same. Uh, you know, the the football stars of the world are football stars to everyone, and and so on and so forth. Amazing. Yeah, uh, it, so it wasn't as short as I wanted it to be, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you you said at the beginning of the conversation that you know when you were looking for an adventure that it's so hard to find something that hasn't been done. Um, and likewise, it's very hard to talk to someone who is the only person to have done something. Um, so an absolute um, privilege. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you really, really has been such an interesting talk. Um, as always, we'd, we'd love to have you over here in Ireland at some point. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being a part of it. And I will come and visit you in Ireland sooner or later. Brilliant. Um, thank you, Thor. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.